Welcome to the next episode of Moments of Influence. I'm here with my good buddy pal, Jeremy Dewey, who I call Dewey. And he is going to talk about his moment of influence. So, Jeremy, where did you grow up? Well, Valerie, thanks for having me on this episode of Moments of Influence. (laughs) I grew up on a farm in Stafford County, Kansas, which is roughly the dead center of Kansas. Near St. John. 15 miles. You've heard of St. John. I have. I went to high school there. Uh, I went to high school oh, there. Oh, that's so interesting. I, uh, I graduated 95. That's, yeah. So Dewey, uh, sorry, I, his name is Jeremy Dewey, but I've called him Dewey forever. So you Dewey, can call me Dewey. Okay, I'm going to call you Dewey. So Dewey uh, is two years younger. He was in my little sister's class. So we're pals from there, and uh, it's kind of kind of interesting life. So you want to share how you started uh, your love of Gustav? Well, my love of Gustav started in <laughs> high school. Uh, we met on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. This was circa 1991, and I was uh, listening to... Uh, FM radio on a very, very small boom box. Not so much boom, just more of a box. Mm-hmm. Uh, one cassette player that would record off the radio. Uh, I would listen to the classical music station out of Hutchinson, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And they would play broadcasts or rebroadcasts of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, uh, which was uh, an ensemble known for its brass section it's 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 power uh and i was a brass player well still am played the french horn i started playing when i was 10 i started piano when i was eight so aspiring musician and uh, kind of a musical omnivore i listened to whatever i could get my ears on at the time plus your your house was musical my house was musical my mother played the piano and the horn also so she introduced us to a, a lot of music, us, my my sister and I, when we both played piano, we both played brass instruments. My mother would play Beethoven on the upright piano that we had in our, our basement. What, hor- what horn does she play? Oh, the the French horn. Uh, oh, I didn't know that she also played French horn. She did. Uh, she played the French horn. My aunt played the French horn. Uh, my aunt, who actually had the same band teacher that you and I had, oh, uh, Mr. Mr. Clos- Bill Clausing. Who just... Got entered into the uh, KMEA, right? Kansas Music Educators Association yeah. Hall of Fame. Pretty cool. Congrats, Mr. C. So, one night, one day, you heard? I heard, I heard there was going to be a broadcast of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. It was, it was probably a Sunday evening, and usually we're not farming on, on Sundays, and so I, I had the day to... You know, fo- follow my dreams, follow my reveries. And I, I said, uh, just on a whim, I thought, well, why don't I record this broadcast? Mahler's First Symphony. I'd never heard of Mahler in my life. I, you know, I was 15. I pulled out a, it must have been a 90-minute a cassette. And uh, I, I, I queued it up and I was ready to go. And I uh, pressed record and... Uh, I listened to a piece of music I, that was unlike any other sort of classical p- 
piece I'd ever heard before in my entire life. How so? Uh, for one, it was it was kind of epic in length. It was about an hour long. Uh, it had uh, an orchestra of great power. It was it call, it calls for a huge instrumentation, seven horns. For I think seven horns, four trumpets, a huge huge brass section, huge wind section. Uh, it had. It had uh, it had folk songs in it, like songs that I knew. We'll, we'll, we'll play clips of it in a bit, but there were uh, echoes of of childhood that were that were throughout. And uh, one thing that you couldn't see because it was on the radio, but the announcers did share as as a part of their program notes, is at the very end the horns all stand as a section sort of and play their. Um, you know, rip roaring finale that he wrote for the horn section, uh, sort of in recognition of their of them and their mastery, their beautiful sound, and you know, playing. So it was written in there. It, it was written. It's actually written in the music. The horns have four bars to raise their stands, stand up, get situated. You know, the horn is awkward because you to stick your hand in the bell and that they point backwards but it, it was uh it was it's a moment to showcase this instrument that to me was very special. It's interesting because it's on the radio right so it's meant to be seen but let's it's meant let's, to be seen but let's hear it i kind of i'm interested so um describe what we're going to hear first here so the uh the, the symphony itself is called the the titan well Mahler called it the titan and uh, it was that, that's taken from a, a novel by Jean Paul. It's it's about the development of a young man's character, and he he moves from youth through uh, adversity and in sort of the, the the death of youthful ideas, and then the, the triumph of uh, triumph over like suffering and, and sort of that self fulfillment process. Mm-hmm. And you sort of there's that through line throughout the entire symphony. But the first the opening movement is really. Like the spring of youth, which when I heard it for the first time was it was like my spring of youth. Really, um, it opens with this sort of ethereal high A on the strings. They just they hold it for about two and a half minutes long, and you hear these like cuckoo, these like cuckoo cuckoo sounds from the woodwinds uh, as they are sort of representing the the birds coming coming alive in spring or waking up on a on a spring morning. It's it's. It's really rather beautiful, and all of this is leading up to the opening theme that I think we have queued up. Okay, let's hear that. Uh, let's hear that. There's a cuckoo. Can't you see a young man running over a hill? I and, didn't, but I could, I could, I could imagine it. Yes. Bunnies, deer. <laughs> I could hear trees. cuckoos, cuckoos, cuckoo clocks. Exactly. 
and and uh, that 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 theme that dum bum 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 it comes from uh, comes from a, another song that he wrote himself. Uh, it's called "I Went This Morning Over a Field," and it's 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 drawing on these these very same ideas of uh, youth in spring. There's a tinge of sadness written into this as a. Uh, as the singer says, you know, he's, he's lamenting that happiness will, will never bloom for him again as his, as his lover's gone. There's, so there's a little, little sadness and poetry that he's written into this. But we have a recording of a, the Berlin Philharmonic. And, uh, so the second, this is the, part of the second movement? This is, this is, this is the theme. This is, the, he, he uses this theme in other pieces of music that he wrote. Okay. He actually wrote this piece of music about 15 years before he wrote this symphony. Oh, okay. So, so what we're going to so so we're hearing a clip of something that the public would have been very familiar with. I see. Okay. At that time. So he's as it, it, it same with like the Frere Jacques only that's much more ancient. Okay. Than this. Okay, I'm getting very excited here. It is very exciting. And, and the public, <laughs> when he, when this uh, Pratt's premiere in Budapest, was very excited about this piece because it was, it was unlike other things he had heard before. So here they have a piece of music. I don't know if they would call it popular music at the time, but he was drawing in something from their lot, their day to day lives that that uh, it put, put directly into the symphony itself. Well, I'm going to say that this was not popular in St. John because I've n- never heard it. This is not on T95. No, the, no, no, it was not. And so you're kind of the first movement growing, right? So you uh, graduated from St. John, and then you went to... Went to University of Kansas. Oh, I, went, I did the who? University of Kansas. So what did you major in? My initial major was music education, and I stuck with that for about a year and a half before I... I had a change of heart and I, I wasn't as interested in learning every single instrument and passing that knowledge on. I, it was a period of self-discovery for myself, frankly, and uh, I was introduced to uh, media management and journalism through one of my colleagues who play, uh, that I played in band with. He's a great musician. He's a tuba player. And he he said, well... If this music education thing's not interesting you, what 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 about uh, radio? Because I knew that radio it had played a, a big role in my life. It was a big part of my cultural education and, as as a young person. And in the tractor, for hours. And in the tractor, I would literally listen to classical music for ten hours a day, plowing the fields. And uh, we've come for full circle. Now you are on. Now I'm on the. Uh, now I'm like doing sharing my knowledge of music on music. a podcast, and people are listening, and maybe somebody I um, I tracked her in Kansas is listening to you d- describe this, and they will be inspired. Yeah, 
Um, so you graduated from KU. Where did you go from there? From there, I went to graduate school at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, to get my MBA and my MA in arts administration. And that was really th- stemming from my my love of art and culture. I, but I wasn't uh, under any illusion that I was going to become a, a famous professional musician. I, I felt I had other gifts that I wanted to 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 use and to share to help artists realize their dreams and to share art with communities mm-hmm. uh, and 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 also for like kids and families it, it to introduce them to to great art to hopefully inspire them in in their youth. Uh, so I I use that to start a career in arts administration. Is that the, so? Is that the second movement in your life? Would you say uh, the second movement to me represents like the, the the dance that we do in our in our twenties? We're still it's 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 youthful. It's discovering, but you know we're sort of breaking out of that uh, sort of that the childish ideas, uh, the, the childish things that we uh, clung to. And, do you feel like you that this is represented? You think this is represented in the music? I mean, in this particular piece. The dance, this this dance. So, well, I think what the what's interesting about this dance is that he it's uh, what well, d- dance was a very important part of it, it any symphony. So, like structurally speaking, it it kind of it it kind of follows the rules a little bit of 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 symphony writing. But he what it used to be the dance was always the third movement. He moved it to the second. So he, this was his way of sort of like experimenting and tinkering with. Uh, what was deemed appropriate at, at at the time, and he also used a, a different style of dance. He used a, a lendler, which is kind of a form of a waltz. Uh, a lendler is uh, oftentimes known in the uh, popular vernacular is a, is a, is the dance in the Sound of Music, uh, which we have a, a, cl- a clip of that as well. Uh, it's just a. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's back up for a moment. And uh, before we close out the, or before we begin the second movement, let's close out the first okay. because he, he, you know, great, great symphonic writing. Oftentimes, he just takes that main theme and works it, redevelops it, brings it back, uh, brings it back in, weaves it in, in interesting ways. And here, for in the first movement, he 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 blows it out in a in a big full fortissimo orchestra finale. Uh, with a lot of you know whistles and flourishes in the in the in in brass and timpani, uh, it's a very exciting way to end the first movement. I'm excited. Let's let's Count hear my it. attention. Okay, let's hear this. Are we finished? Are we awake? That would have been me. That would have been me on the timpani, by the way. Yeah, back at band in band, I was, I was the timpani player, so that was kind of exciting for me. Um, I feel like we are on <laughs> SNL with our soft voices. 
Um, the delicious dish. Delicious dish. Okay, so we are moving on. This piece is a delicious dish. <laughs> the second slice is a it's a fun little dance. And a dance party? It's a dance party. So the second movement of the song. Okay, so we're moving on to why are there movements? Like, I don't understand the, the different movements. So is each orchestra have movements? Or is this the way he's setting it up? It's just, it's the structure of a symphony. Like the traditional structure was that it has four different movements. It's sort of like four separate pieces of music almost with the, each have, having their own identity, their their own uh, themes. And uh, usually they're of different varying like tempos. A, like uh, a play with acts. That's the way I would have to put it in my head. Absolutely. Okay. So... Now we're in the second movement. The second act. Okay. So let's hear the second act. You hear the main theme. Yeah. That's a dance. That's, That's a, a dance. Lendler. It's like a variation of the waltz. Nice three, four time. One, two, three. Right. One, two, three. You can see people dancing and, you know, coupled up on a dance floor and, and moving together. You know, waltz-like. Uh, maybe like uh, the sound of music uh, at the the big ball scene. That's the one thing that... The Sound of Music once a year that was played on TV, and that's like how you sat down and were with your family for a while. We watched it every year. Which part of it? I mean, which part does this have to do with? This is right in the middle, when uh, right before Maria runs away from the Von Trapp family. She has a, a moment where she's teaching the children the dance, and Captain Von Trapp, you know, he cuts in. He's like, son, let me show you how this is really done, and... They dance together. She blushes. Oh, this is where the sexual tension. The sexual tension is really getting there. You know, I could definitely feel it. Definitely feel that. You know, I think so. We even have a clip of that music. Oh, let's feel. Let's go back there. She blushing. I think her whole body is blushing right now. She's blushing. Her blushing as we're watching. There's a lot of sexual tension in this room right now. Just listening to this. I think so too. I don't remember anymore. <gasps> Your face is all red. Is it? <laughs> I don't suppose I'm used to dancing. Oh. Classic. Oh. Classic Lindler. I have goosebumps. Look. Yeah, you do. I do. Um, <laughs> so we are moving on from the sexual tension. So uh, obviously we're going to go, you're going to move from, uh, you got your, sec- your your degree in Texas, right? Your yeah, the two master's degrees. And then you moved your, uh, to um, you have sex in the city. City. New York City. 
There you go. See, Brooklyn. it all worked out. Um, and then where did, where did you work in Brooklyn? Yeah, Brooklyn, I worked at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Which, uh, got a Gossip Girl bam, reference. And bam. Bam. Okay, so um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sorry, but dude, I watched Gossip Girl, enjoyed it, had a great time watching it, and then Dewey said he worked at BAM, and I about lost my mind because they brought it up there, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And BAM is the America's oldest continually operating performing arts center, founded in 1861. Although when I was there with Zoe for her seventh birthday and we, my phone lost charge. I had no idea where we were going. And I asked people, okay, where, what, which one is it for BAM? Like what exit is for BAM? <clears throat> Nobody knew what I was talking about in New York City. So it's, it's, it's one of New York's best keep, kept, best kept secrets, it's unfortunately. Strange. But, uh, you know, historically many of the greats, came through New York and performed in Brooklyn at BAM, including Gustav Mahler. Really? All people conducted at BAM. Cool. So this is like, okay, so now, oh gosh, now we're getting dark here. We are getting dark. Third movement. Yeah. You know, as, as we all grow, we all have, have to wrestle with some of the ideas that we grew up with and some of them proved to be wrong false and it's sort of like we have to work through our trials and adversities if we want had, to rise I did not, up i didn't have any of that at all in my 20s i was very clear my direction no that's yeah. uh impressive <laughs> as anybody that knows me good, knows that good rearing i guess complete bullshit so, but that's fine so this is kind of a, a funeral march uh and the interesting thing about this is that tune he's used is actually one that probably most kids in America know it's the uh, Frere Jaca, the uh, Are You Sleeping? Are You Sleeping, Brother John? Wonder why I did that. Okay, so let's hear that one. And so on and on it goes in around, just as little, children's little, amazing. Little dark and it kind is, of slow. It is dark, and how stunning and mesmerizing that was to hear for the first time as a fifteen-year-old taking a what is kind of a nursery song, nursery rhyme almost, and turning it into he's a like funeral. A, but he's a little obsessed with death, Mahler. Yes. Okay. So getting into he was surrounded by death for uh, his entire life. So. Um, because I'm more of a visual film, I'm the film gal. I so I when I was um, <laughs> I uh, looking up all these things about Mahler, I discover well two films. One of them is just titled Mahler. It was like a biographical film based on his life, 
And uh, it's from 1974. And I found some clips on YouTube that are um, pretty dark. Like his, he has a funeral scene and he's in a coffin. There's some crazy stuff. I mean, I I guess the the opening scene is him like in, in a butterfly, like breaking out of it. It's complete experimental film. I mean, when I was studying at KU, this is experimental film. This is not for everybody. It's pretty bizarre. It's kind of appropriate. Like, so he's... That he inspired so exper- he's experimental kind of film. obsessed with death. I'm Absolutely. assuming that's why they had him in the coffin, awake, freaking out, screaming. It's bizarre. You I should look it up. all but maybe two of his siblings died when they were children, when he was growing up. So there was constantly death in the house. Okay, so he's he's feeling he's yeah, he's like a little a little not feeling it. And then we to come back to you, I'm sorry, I had to go back to <laughs> your your symphony here. So the we're finally doing wait. Yeah, fourth. The fourth and final. Fourth and final. Okay, so what happens here? Well this is sort of the the resurrection, if you will, if if the third movement is the funeral, the death, fourth is sort of the emerging. It's, a, it's emerging out of that cocoon that we were in as a caterpillar mm-hmm. and becoming that butterfly, like that, like the film. So this is more like that than more like a, you feel like it's not Christian based as like the the death and then the resurrection. Th- well, considering the time and the place that he he was uh, living in. You know, late nineteenth century Catholic Austrian Empire. I think religion certainly played a part in in a lot in a lot of art, and probably had played a role in that uh, the work of uh, Jean Paul the Titan, where he drew his inspiration for this symphony. So I think there there is a religious kind of a spiritual element that's woven into this. Uh, just not into like a, just not into like this caterpillar crystal is thing that this man is breaking out of in this film. Well, but which think is bizarre. That's uh it's breaking then, out of the chrysalis is kind of a violent act actually and, and interestingly the opening of the fourth movement is kind of a a violent opening. Well, that's what happens. You should listen to it. Okay. Kind of a struggle in that. I feel it. And there's a lot of heavy brass playing, which was definitely appealing at the time. It's an aspiring brass player. <laughs> and then we're we're moving like towards emotional build and climax. Yeah, there's that after that storm, like that <laughs> butterfly has merged out of there. It's got to take a breather. And uh, this I mean, the fourth movement's pretty epic. It's about half an hour long, and so. You kind of seriously, we, we uh, the, the the waves sort of settle, the winds die down, and uh, there's a there's a gorgeous emotional center. And I'm of wondering this I, what you're thinking of this, like at 13. It's very interesting that you're sticking around and, and like feeling like, yeah, this is this is working. 
for this me. is the meaning. This is this is the, the the poignant part of the symphony happens right right here. Okay, let's hear the emotional build and climax. Climaxing. Kind of like a, I don't know. We climaxed and then we went down real quick. We're exhausted. I guess he really makes you work for it. I, you, I mean, you were working really hard on that climax, and then you just kind of like exhausted, fell asleep. Sorry. Anyway, that's kind of what happens sometimes. Um, and then, oh, oh, the last part, the cool part, the one that uh, was written in that we don't see uh, on the radio. The right? standing. The standing of the the trumpets. Trumpets? Just the horns. Just the, horns. the French horns. Oh, just, just the French horns. Yeah. Okay. So let's hear that. Exciting. I, I mean, I mean as, as, a, as a performer, I, I did have the that's pleasure right. of getting yeah. to play this. You're uh, a badass because you're a French horn. It's a, it's a, it's it's a little nerve wracking to all of a sudden have to stand. Lift did your, you do lift. that? Absolutely. My freshman year at the University of Kansas when I was I playing didn't in know the KU this, Symphony Orchestra. I didn't even know you played this piece. Oh, okay. You save that for now. Well, that was cool. So you got to do that that's exciting um so after (laughs) after um bam did you okay so i'm just gonna i just want to be able to like we're finishing out this whole thing um and then i just want to get to where you are right now and how this this music seems to have like you followed kind of the movements which is very interesting but um, where are you? You were in New York for how long? I was in New York for 13 years. Did you 
But you didn't work at, you worked at BAM twice. I worked at BAM twice. I also spent some time working with New York City Ballet at Lincoln Center. Okay. I, I went there with you. You showed me. Incredible place. Uh, learned a lot about ballet. I learned a lot about music there too, because without, without music. <sighs> you, know what? you know what? Paul McCartney was there. Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney was, there. was there. And you, didn't you see him? I did. I, I even got to speak with him I, for just, about seven and a half seconds. I about threw up when he told me this because I could have cried. I know that you didn't particularly think it was his the best work he's ever done, but I the fact that he was there is the coolest thing ever. That's probably why we're still friends. It but. was important, and, and, and he was eager to take on the challenge of writing music for a ballet, which is very different from, say, writing an oratorio or a, an incredible pop hit. He just likes to. He's an incredible musician. He is, and he likes to just try new things. Oh, and so you tried, you're trying something new now. Well, you moved. I am, I have, I am trying something new. I'm still very much focused on art, but I've, I've moved to St. Louis Bye. with my husband, who is as an associate dean at Washington University, took an incredible job at an incredible institution. And this has given me an opportunity to uh, do some consulting, do some consulting still for BAM back in Brooklyn, also for the Center of Creative Art in, in St. Louis. As I, His job has also enabled you to take a little trip. Absolutely. Yes, I, I went to Vienna and I got to tap into some of the uh, incredible cultural history of that city, which includes Mahler, who, who who worked there along with so many other incredible artists and thinkers f from that time. I'm sure he was really enjoying getting all these. <laughs> I would get all these uh, Marco Polos from all over. It was pretty cool. That I trip. Went, and I made it to Budapest where the symphony had its world premiere as well. So it was, it was a, it was a chance for me to really kind of tap into our art and culture that influenced me as a, as a young person. That's a long friggin' way from St. John, Kansas. Yes, it is. I mean, everything. The whole, your life as a whole is, has completely blossomed and totally, it's actually. It is, but the seeds were all planted there. I mean, you know, oh, that's nice. Not, you know, my, I'm a farmer, and and uh, you know, sort of like that was planting and nurturing and growing, and then that whole like cycle, the life cycle. Uh, you know that I was very much in touch with that. Uh, you know, food and music are two things that are incredibly important to me. That's I think that's very because true. We were oh raising food, but also at, at the same time, I was being exposed to some incredible art. Just thanks to uh, some great music teachers who happened to be living in that part of the country. And uh, to great radio that a lot of people supported publicly because they felt that that was important. It's Thank you, Hodgson, Kansas. Right? Really? Yeah. I mean. That ra that radio station changed my life. I don't even know. I didn't. I don't know if I ever listened to it. We didn't listen to classical, I don't think. I was a T95-er. But um, I'm glad you listened to it. I'm glad you heard it. I'm glad you're here. I think that um, I personally had never I uh, heard of him, Gustav Mahler. He's and not as popular as say like the the Beethovens in in the Mozarts, but uh, yeah, he he was incredibly influential. He he broke some models. He 
he wrote pieces that in ways that people had never heard before. He was, he, he, he's now introduced me to two films, but Mahler, the first one, a uh, little bit too experimental. The second, um, I'm just going to bring up real quick before we end, uh, is Mahler on the couch. And so <laughs> I was kind of interested in this. And so I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's German. So it's a foreign film. Um, it's from t- 2010. And it's a, it says it's a historical drama depicting the affair of Alma Mahler with Walter Gripius, I think. Alma was his wife. Right. And the subsequent psychoanalysis of Mahler's husband, Gustav, our guy, by Sigmund Freud. The, uh, the, the preview looked pretty, pretty damn interesting. We're gonna watch it. Yeah, we're I think find it. I think we're gonna find it and try to get that watched. But I'm thank you. I mean, I never would have thought that I would. Like, I don't know. I was like, I've never heard of this before in my life, and how the hell am I going to be in touch with this? But the fact that he was able to be experimental in the the nature thing, and and you know, I don't know. Can the the first know? symphony is sort of like the gateway drug. To, yeah. To the the to the rest of his symphonies because. Uh, There's some good stuff that happens after this. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're so, I, (laughs) we are so SNL right now. I just feel like making you food. And I feel like they were wearing sweaters right now. It's very warm and cozy. (laughs) Anyway. Intellectual. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on uh, Moments of Influence. Thank you. So this is Jeremy Dewey. Uh, We are out, um, but we'll be looking forward to the next Moments of Influence. uh, And we will see you then. liked what you've heard, please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Patreon is a creator support system that allows people to support the things they love and creators to continue doing what they love. Head on over to patreon.com slash gfmedia and choose the Cultural Stew podcast levels to show your support for us. Thank you.